0: This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Destination Analysts a team of travel industry experts widely known for their pioneering customized travel and tourism research that is second to none for reliability, affordability, and transparency. They not only assist their clients with the interpretation of the research results, but the architecture and execution of strategy based on that research. You can find more at destinationanalysts.com. And now it's on to our show. Our guest today is Martha Sheridan. She brings more than 30 years of destination marketing experience to her role as president and CEO of the Greater Boston Convention and Visitors Bureau, a seasoned tourism leader. She provides strategic direction to the 1200 member organization in its mission to generate a robust visitor economy for the region. Annually, tourism accounts for more than $20 billion of revenue for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Prior to joining the GBCVB in 2019, Martha was the president and CEO of the Providence Warwick Convention and Visitors Bureau, where she was instrumental in driving group and leisure business to the ocean state, solidifying Providence as one of the premier destinations for conventions and sporting events in the Northeast. She is the past chair of Destination Marketing Association International, today known as Destinations International, the world's largest association of destination marketing professionals. She holds and has held leadership positions with several local, regional and national organizations, including the U.S. Travel Association, where she currently serves on the board of directors, and sits on advisory groups focused on accelerating the nation's leisure and business travel recovery, including the Let's Meet There initiative. A graduate of the University of Rhode Island, Martha enjoys travel, obviously, and spending time on the water with her three kids and husband, Martha Sheridan. Welcome to DMOU.
1: Thank you, Bill. It's great to be here.
0: Oh, it's a real honor to have you on. Uh, you have done so much for our industry through your time at the, uh, the Head of Destinations International and, and all the stuff you do. You really are one of those destination leaders that uh, we've been wanting for so long to get on the show. And so thank you for the uh, quick turnaround and joining us on today's show.
1: Absolutely. Happy to be here.
0: So now you've been on a real whirlwind these past three years since taking the helm of the Boston CVB and covid And the call for social justice has not made that ride any easier for anybody, but just maybe it made you and your DMO better. So here's my first question for you. Tell us about your move to make diversity, equity, and inclusion a pillar of your organization's work over the past year. Tell us about All In.
1: Sure. Yeah, the campaign we launched last year, earlier this year, sorry, was is called the All-Inclusive Boston Campaign. Uh, it was uh, derived from an RFP that was generated by the city of Boston under then-Mayor uh, Marty Walsh, who is now U.S. Labor Secretary. And it really was, as you just said, developed as a conflation of both the COVID crisis and the call for racial justice. And the RFP addressed both of those key issues that were profoundly impacting our area and, of course, the entire nation, and it asked for us to address both issues concurrently through a campaign that we would launch and generate more interest in Boston from visitors, particularly a more diverse array of visitors, but also generate more interest in Boston's neighborhoods, its diverse cultural offerings, its black and brown-owned businesses, and then, of course, uh, helped start the recovery from the devastation that our industry has seen as a result of the COVID crisis. So uh, it was a tall order for sure. The initiative was funded through CARES Act money. It initially was a $2 million campaign. Then they added another half a million. So it was about $2.5 which to some sounds like a lot, but... To others, uh, maybe not. It was definitely more than the city had ever invested in a destination marketing campaign in the past. So we were delighted to propose our strategy alongside two Black-owned businesses, Colette Phillips Communications and Proverb Agency. And I think the end result was a really beautiful campaign that certainly met the requirements of the RFP, but it even went beyond that and just... Showcased a Boston that many people didn't know about, and our research told us that. So uh, we were thrilled with the outcome, and we're actually bidding on a second iteration of the campaign right now.
0: Interesting that this was a city initiative that was awarded to a DMO, and I'm and we shouldn't be surprised at that, right? I mean, we are. The experts at how this all works, and we are the storytellers, and we are the people who have probably the best tentacles into the community of any other agency there is. But this is just kind of different. I mean, I, it's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is to say, wow, you know, a city sees the opportunity and admits to itself there's a problem, which is hard for politicians to do, but they did. And put it out there and you got it and made it whole, if you will. So tell us some of the uh, the aspects of All In and, and how that's making Boston more inclusive, uh, making the product more available to people of color so that they see themselves in Boston. Because I think one of the issues that I saw in some of the uh, news articles leading up to this was that Boston had to kind of recognize that it had kind of a a reputation for not exactly being that inclusive.
1: You are right. And um, the first order of business when we landed the RFP was to conduct research. And that was a key pillar for what came afterwards as we launched this campaign. So the research was done by a firm called Heart and Mind out of DC. They are brilliant. Um, We loved working with them. They were referred to us by the amazing Kathy Tull, who I know we all know in in this Mm -hmm. world. You bet. And uh, the research focused, it was quantitative and qualitative. It focused on local residents, and it focused on potential visitors. Uh, That was on the qualitative side. On the quantitative side, the same thing, but larger panels. Both panels uh, for qualitative and quantitative skewed heavily towards a more diverse set. So we wanted to make sure that we were hearing the voices of the community loud and clear. And that, that really came through when we, one night, this is a really interesting story, but the panel that they did for the qualitative piece, they do online and you can actually watch the questions being asked and answered. And the, the questions are answered via your electronic device. Not It's not a live focus group, but we all were sitting there as the vendors on the project watching the Q&A and it was astounding yes but obviously not terribly surprising what people thought of Boston that they thought it was predominantly white male focused a lot of drunks just <laughs> you know they didn't understand that we had diversity that we had diverse offerings but none of this surprised us because you know we'll get to this i think in our next question but the greater boston cvb was never adequately funded so they never had the opportunity to tell the story of, of boston yeah. on a broad scale as most destinations do so we were allowing other mediums to tell our story whether it's in the movies with you know our fantastic fantastic home grown sons matt damon and ben affleck right. but yeah. That's a very one-sided story of Boston, you know, and our, our sports teams are great, but of course, they aren't without their challenges that are nationally known. So anyway, it became clear that the um, the research bore out what we suspected to be true, that people really did think Boston was a racist city. So we had our work cut out for us. But I think working with the two firms that we worked with, they took this research and nailed the creative. We developed An absolutely stunning video narrated by um, a black woman who is the poet laureate of the city of Boston. It reflects the diversity of the city because really Boston population wise is quite diverse. It reflected many uh, citizens of Boston that own businesses uh, that are black and brown. We wanted to make sure we put them front and center. All in all, we just feel like the campaign did exactly what the RFP asked us to do. It featured, as I said, the video, which we shared you know, socially and via other digital mediums. It had an incredible, incredible reception. We have hundreds of thousands of views, so that's going to stay in the portfolio. We developed a website, digital advertising. We actually advertise locally as well because part of the marching orders was to change the perception locally as well. It's going to take a long time to do that, but we definitely started that conversation and moved the needle a little bit with this campaign. So we did billboards and bus sides and bus shelters. And you know the, the creative is absolutely stunning. We used real people. We identified the businesses in the ads and we actually anecdotally have heard from a lot of those business owners that their business exploded after being featured in our campaign. So we know that it, it did what it was supposed to do. Yeah.
0: That was my next question is what kind of results have you seen? And having local businesses realize that this is the reason that things have changed is pretty cool.
1: You know, like I said, the results for a lot of these businesses have has been incredible. I think the most important takeaway for us is the start of this mind shift, right? That we have a great destination. And this is, you know, internally for our team and, and our industry that represents Boston in the travel space. But we we spent so much time focusing on what happened between Fenway and Faneuil Hall yeah, and really neglected to focus on the incredible stories and businesses in the neighborhoods. And I think it allowed us to really shift our focus and that continues to this day. Our membership is becoming more diverse for sure. Our board had already begun down that road. So we're glad to see that we have a more diverse representation on the GBCVB board and it shifted the narrative for my team as well. So we think this is something that's here to stay. And we know that results take a very long time. And Bill, you know that better than anyone. Ideally we'd like to do a post research study once we are able to invest more funding into this campaign just to see if we have moved the needle somewhat. But uh, time will tell, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, well, congratulations. And I would encourage everybody to go to your website and check out that video. So question number two, at the same time as you're doing this work, you're also spearheading a movement to form this nation's newest and one of the biggest tourism improvement districts. As you said just a few minutes ago, typically and historically underfunded. Doing a T-bid is never easy in any town or any state, but in one of the top 25 markets, tell us about what you learned through the process because it had to be, to a degree, more difficult to do it in Boston than it might be in a in a smaller community, that uh, you've got a much more condensed hotel inventory.
1: It was an incredible, incredible process and experience. And, you know, we recognize, as we've been saying during this podcast, that we have to figure out a way to generate dedicated and predictable funding. And that's why I was hired. I'll be honest with you. When I did my interviews for this position, it was clear the board knew that they had to change the way they were doing business. We could not continue, as John Lambert says, to beg for our lunch. Yeah. So um, I was brought in for this very purpose. And initially I was definitely met with skepticism, some opposition, for sure, yeah. and sort of looked upon as, oh, this girl doesn't know what she's getting into in this big city, right? <laughs> Politics will eat her alive here. But you know what? I just took each day as it came, Um, They weren't all good. They weren't all bad. Some were great. Some were okay. But first I listened, right? I developed a posse of supporters that could help spread the word with me. And most of them were hoteliers. So it was obviously the hotel community hearing from each other about the benefit of this. I engaged Civitas, who was amazing. And I engaged incredible lobbyists. And that's really, for me... What helped us tell this story in the most important place, which was um, on Beacon Hill, our state capital, uh, where the legislature meets, and who had to ultimately bless this as a first step in the process. Now, I will say, COVID came along halfway through our process, and um, COVID absolutely helped us move this faster than we normally would have. We were getting good traction, for sure, and I think the reception was okay on a state level, and city level somewhat, but COVID brought, like in most communities, brought a new appreciation for what travel and tourism brings to a community because it was completely taken for granted here. So we actually were able to attach our bill to an economic development bill that was designed Ah. with other COVID relief initiatives in it. And because as a standalone, I think you realize it's so much harder to pass in a big state legislature where people are, you know, dealing with yeah. you know, hundreds of bills every session. Um, so being able to do that, and that was a credit to my lobbyist. Um, we were able to gain the support of the speaker, the House leader, the Ways and Means chair, and then uh, passed it in at three a.m. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got the signature of the governor a week later. And I do think the devastation that COVID, you know, had on our industry in Boston played a huge role in that. Now the bill enables any. RTC, there are 16 of us to form, we call it a TDMD, Tourism Destination Marketing District. But thus far, we're the only ones that have completed the process. But I think hoteliers recognized it as well. Once they saw their business dry up, you know, we were fat and happy. There's no question about it. High rates, high occupancy. But boy, once everyone saw that that can go away in the blink of an eye, they recognized that we needed to compete uh, more on a national and international level in that. That gave us the uh, the tailwind we needed to push this all the way through from the, you know, we had to get 62% of our hotels to agree to form this district, unlike most formations, which require about 51%. And that was due to our lodging association actually not being 100% behind us initially. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: that became a challenge in and of itself. But you know me, I love a challenge. And... <laughs> We ended up getting seventy percent of our hotels to sign in one day, cool. and uh, definitely, yep. as Mr. Lambeth says, an absolute record in TDMD formation. So, yeah, and and we're done. We're now in the uh, process of informing our hotels of how this will work from a collection standpoint, working with Department of Revenue, and then, of course, we're going from what we currently have, which is a seven million dollar budget, ultimately to a forty million plus budget. So we're now wow working to make sure that we have the the team in place that we need to effectively deploy an integrated marketing campaign um, like has never been done before in this city. So total game changer. Oh,
0: absolutely. And, you know, interesting that you say that COVID caused a lot of your hoteliers to kind of reevaluate and, and better understand. And I think, and, and this is not a shot at small town hoteliers in any way, shape or form, but Oftentimes, when we're out doing strategic planning and, and the work that we do, we suggest the business improvement district model and explain to hoteliers how this thing works. And the initial response typically is total pushback. I wonder if there isn't a level of sophistication with big city hoteliers that understand that, okay, we're talking a couple dollars here and we're going to get from single digit millions to 40. And this is going to be a good thing where in maybe a smaller community that one or two or $3 more, they're fearful of that, making them somehow uncompetitive with the city next door. And so that your hotel community embraced it at that level is pretty amazing, especially during COVID.
1: That took a little work, especially before COVID started. So, you know, obviously we started to socialize this concept with our hotels, long before covid but we did a percentage one and a half percent and our adr was pretty high at the time so it it, the the amount on the folio can add up well beyond just a few dollars to be honest with you and you know hotels did recognize that but you know bill i think if i had to give advice to anyone forming a T bid right now i would say you have to learn to speak you have to be bilingual or multilingual because when you're talking to your hotels you're talking about direct bottom line benefit to their ownership, front and center, first and foremost, right? But when you're talking to um, government leaders, or in my case, also my city council, it's a completely different language because you don't want them to look upon this as, well, you're putting something on your folio just to benefit your bottom line. I don't understand. So you have to talk about the greater good as well. And then when you're talking, when we were talking to our city council, cause we had to get approval on the local level as well in both Boston and Cambridge, you know, you really have to address their needs, which is how is this gonna impact my constituents, my residents, my specific neighborhood. So we really were multilingual in how we approach this. Now, when you look at the plan all in all, it's very holistic and the benefit you can see is pretty broad for the entire community as well as hotel ownership. And I think we were able to articulate that well, but you do have to be able to speak appropriately to different audiences at different times.
0: Yeah. I love the bilingual aspect. You're right. Yeah. And we we have to be multilingual for all of our various audiences. And I think we're learning that more and more every day. So congratulations on that. Third question. Tell us about your last three years because Unless one is working in one of the top 25 markets, many of us aspire to larger destinations. I mean, that's just, you know, I've done this. I want to go bigger. I want to go bigger. What have you learned in the last three years? And what did you expect moving from essentially a a mid-tier destination to one of the top destinations in America? What did you expect and what was reality?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, A, being a woman is definitely a factor when you move into a market like this. So that was foremost in my mind. You know, most of the male GMs in Boston, I'm sorry to say, are male. Yeah. And they're not transient here. So most of our GMs are entrenched in this community and have been here for a very long time. So I had to know that I was coming in as the new kid on the block. I had to learn how to listen first, which I'm, I've always been pretty good at. But I also had to assert myself when it was necessary, right? So, I always did that in Providence, but it was it was on a different scale there, right? And sure, I became a fairly well known entity in Providence, so the respect I received from the community was always pretty extraordinary. But here, I had to, you know, start over again, really, and and earn.
0: You got to earn the, it, yeah. yeah.
1: Of the um, yeah. constituency here. That being said. Uh, First of all, I have a 50-member board, so that in and of itself was a a pretty eye-opening. But the community here, Bill, is unbelievable. I say this all the time. People think the Northeast isn't welcoming. I was welcomed with open arms. I have made some of the best friends I've had in this industry ever since moving to Boston. It's a close-knit community. These hotels compete like crazy for business, but they are friends, they are colleagues. And I could not be more happy in a position than I am in this position. And I've learned to be assertive, more assertive. I've learned that I, need to, I needed to understand that when I walk into a room, although I'm the new kid on the block, I often know more than many of the other people in the room and I should leverage yeah. that, right? right? I was hired right. for a reason. So I think my confidence level has really grown, but I will also say something that's really helped me along in my first three years is the relationship I've developed with my counterparts in first-tier cities. I have this incredible support network in Elliot Ferguson, in Greg Karen from Philly, in Fred Dixon, Al Hutchinson, Mark Anderson. We have really become close, close allies and rely on each other for support through all of this. And that to me, you know, I have a great network of women across this country too. And and that's been a huge support for me, but having like-minded cities now in my support network has been really for me game changing. I'll be honest with you late at night when you're, you know, fretting about, you know, the latest COVID numbers. I knew I could text these guys at any moment and we would all feel the same pain and be able to share ideas and examples of how do we convince our leadership to lighten up on that, you know, restriction or whatever. So so I say, you know, the lessons learned for me are gain your confidence and show it. And then don't ever be afraid to lean heavily on your colleagues for the support you need because they get you through all of the tough times. And I will say the other thing that's been pretty eye-opening here is you know, Rhode Island had some interesting politics, for sure. And when I came here, I thought, well, Mass is probably going to be, you know, on steroids, even more challenging. But right. I have grown to really respect and appreciate government leaders here in both uh, the, at the state level and the city level. They're amazing leaders. They listen. They get it. And I've developed great relationships on that level, too. So uh, all in all, I have zero regrets. I bought a condo here. I am a full-time resident, although I still have a place in Rhode Island. And um, this has been really, for me, a whole new life at Almost 60. I, I couldn't be happier.
0: That is so cool. And also that you would share with us that inner struggle that we all have with, you know, am I good enough? And, you know, you're a past chair of Destinations International. I mean, I would think that for someone like you, you know, once you've done that, I mean, who can challenge you as to whether you know what you're doing or how this industry works? And yet, you shared that you really lean uh, still to this day on on others in top tier destinations. It's refreshing. So, thank you for that.
1: Well, and I think if you interviewed any one of those guys, and they all happen to be men right now, but they would say the same thing. You know, I think that they rely on each other just as much. So. Yeah. That's what gave me the license to lean on them, right? Like I, you know, at first I was like, oh my God, Elliot and Fred, and they all know so much. <laughs> and I asked them, and but then as we started to engage more and more, it just became clear that we all need that social network to survive. Yeah, it's, right. it's part of what makes this industry so incredibly special.
0: Yeah, very cool. Well, hey, thank you again for, uh, for coming on and joining us with uh, those three questions, but we can't let you go without the bonus round question, and many of our guests over the past 70 episodes began their careers outside of travel, tourism, and hospitality. But you, you actually started after college as a tour guide. So tell us the story and why that solidified your love for this industry.
1: Sure, so well, during college, I was actually a tour guide at at the Newport Mansion. So that was my first introduction to this beautiful industry we call travel and tourism. And I was introduced to tour operators during my time there. And after college, I ended up becoming um, a tour director for Paragon Tours out of New Bedford, Mass. And I spent three years of my life traveling around the U.S. and Canada, mostly on motor coaches to places near and far, well-known and not so well-known. And it was an experience that made me grow up very, very fast because it was, a big responsibility, you had 40 people on the bus, right. many of them are citizens, and they looked to you to be in charge. Now, I was 21, 22 years old at the time, so again, talk about earning your confidence. <laughs> but, um, it showed me, first of all, it brought me to other parts of the country that I never would have thought about going to, but it also, it gives you such a window on the diversity of this industry when it comes to working with attractions. And transportation companies and hotels etc so it was it was an incredible experience i had so many great laughs and fun times i had challenging times you know we've i've been on joint tours where my other colleagues had a passenger passed away on the floor of the unit i mean you know you're a kid and you're dealing with that so it was a great way for me to really grow up fast right out of college and again get me passionate about this industry. Yeah. So
0: then for from tour guide then what was the next step that got you to DMOs?
1: Well I actually went to work in Boston at the Park Plaza Hotel at the front desk which was really yep. again another great way to learn different market segments and see meetings coming to fruition etc but that was short lived that was only about a year and a half and my first DMO job was in south county rhode island which is where my parents lived at the time and i became their marketing director and um off we go and that was i was 27 so that was probably in the late 80s so dmo was really new back then right and um yeah we were sort of all learning as we went
0: and uh it was a really oh, we were. great, great yeah.
1: first job in the industry and um the rest is history as they say
0: yeah very very cool well hey Martha, thank you for your leadership, for all you do for us. Uh, Congratulations on the work that you've done with All In. Um, I think it's a model for many uh, destinations that are struggling to figure out where that next step is as we all try to move forward and for your service to Destinations International and for all of us. So we're all better with you on our side and uh, with your leadership.
1: Thank you, Bill. It was a pleasure to be with you
0: today. All right. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Destination Analysts, a team of travel industry experts widely known for their pioneering customized travel and tourism research that is second to none for reliability, affordability, and transparency. You can learn more at DestinationAnalysts.com dmopros.com. is where you're going to find links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, our position paper on community development and board diversity, the book destination leadership, blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, as well as past episodes of DMOU. That's dmopros with a dot Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.